Welcome to the Fueling the Bold podcast. I'm your host, Susie Carrington from Carrington's Coffee Co. This week, we had a conversation with Kiki, co-owner of Relic Plastic, a sustainable manufacturing company using locally sourced, 100% recycled plastic. To find out more about their beautiful products and community workshops, head to relicplastic.com. Remember, Fueling the Bold encompasses both the courage to challenge oneself and the quiet moments of recharging. It's our hope that this podcast will inspire you, reflecting the everyday boldness we've encountered in our local area of Morecambe Bay in Lancashire. Now take a moment to relax, perhaps with a cup of Carrington's coffee, and join us for a meaningful discussion. Enjoy the show. My name is Kiki Callahan. I am co-director of Relic Plastic, and we make 100% recycled plastic products. We do injection molding as well as sheet making. How did you actually first become interested in this field? Mm. Well, this field, I think to me, is not necessarily just like production from recycled plastic, but it's just the field of waste in general. So we look at this from the standpoint of waste is a resource and it's there's a lot of material resource that is being undervalued and just being sent to the landfill. I personally operate from a point of frustration. So I've always kind of seen the way things work and just being like frustrated and annoyed and irked by those things. And so when I have always been skip diving, upcycling, all those things, but when I learned about the Precious Plastic Network, which is what we're based on, it's the open source kind of ideas of taking the recycling process and making it small scale and human sized and understandable and transparent. And I saw this and I thought, wow, that's just amazing. And I saw that you could take it and kind of level up from the point of I'm just upcycling and being crafty to I can make something out of this. And we do like the the wider commercial recycling or the wider commercial injecting kind of world does use recycled plastic, but it's not obvious and it's not the focal point and it's not the reason that they're using it. And so we use it as a, more of a statement and, and a reason to have conversation. And if we didn't have the conversations around it, if we weren't doing the community engagement and the kind of like school foundry tours, bringing schools in and going to schools and doing presentations and we do DT projects and teacher training and all sorts. If we didn't have that, we wouldn't do the other work because that's where the real value is. Um, yes, it's great we're recycling plastic. I think last year we recycled about a ton of plastic um, into our products and sheets. And it feels great to feel like, okay, we're making some sort of a difference in terms of like the amount of plastic that's going to landfill and incineration. And so we're sinking some amount of the carbon equivalent yeah. and that's good. But I think what's better is the fact that we've in involved so many people in that process. So we're not just buying recycled plastic from the wider uh, recycled plastic industry. We buy some in because we need it, but we also take plastic from people. We take plastic from companies that would otherwise throw it away because it's cheaper for them to throw it in the skip than it is to pay to get it removed. So we're trying to build that into like the whole thing. It's a whole process change and thought process change and having people think differently about it. And so, and that comes from a place of what is happening now is not working and how can we make a difference by showing, you know, one small company a ton sounds like a lot for us, but it's not a lot in the grand scheme of things. And so to feel that we're making an impact is really more about getting people to think differently about their consumption and the way that they think about waste. So, so far, what would you say is your most significant achievement in your, I guess, professional life, but maybe personally as well? <laughs> I mean, I think like I'm really... 
you know, it's hard having a small business. It's hard employing people. Before this, I was a freelancer for maybe about seven years living all over Europe before moving here. And before that, I was working as a part of a team of like an actual company. And I keep saying actual company. You know, I was a freelancer yeah. and that is an actual company. And Relic is an actual company. And I think that's what I'm most proud of is we have a team of people that I think feel proud to be a part of what they're making. And we are proud to have them involved in the process. And, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day and kind of asking for advice on how to make decisions when you have so many ideas. And But basically he said that the way to make the best decision is by consensus. And so to have a team that you can trust to, to make a decision with you and as a part of the company rather than having employees who do work, you have a team that can all be a part of the decision making and be excited and passionate about the work that they're doing. That is, that's exciting. Yeah. Like otherwise I might as well be working from home. What challenges or obstacles have you faced? I'm sure there's quite a lot. And how did you overcome them? <laughs> I think that, I mean, the, the obstacles, the challenge in general is that people think that recycling is that something that's recycled should be cheaper and that something that's plastic is not as valuable. And that's part of our work is raising the value of plastic. We only really take plastic that has no value in our current and local waste stream. So we take plastic that would be put in a curbside recycling bin because we're wish cycling it away, but actually county council doesn't recycle it because of the shape of it. And so that's why we've kind of chosen these specific things. We don't want to interrupt a system that already exists, like PET and HCPE uh, milk bottles are already widely recycled. So let's not slip in there, for example. And so I think like a big barrier is people's understanding of what it is. So our products are more expensive because there's a lot more effort that goes into them. We consider them more along the lines of making some sort of a ceramic um, or an artisanal work or like woodworking and whatnot. So that always kind of is a barrier of people's like, well, why can't I just get this for free or cheap? Because people don't value hard labor. And also it's all made here in the UK. So it's sourced here in the UK. We don't have air miles shipping things overseas we try to sell everything within the uk we don't really talk that much to clients overseas we talk to them a little bit usually we try to help them find somebody to do the work where they are and then if they can't find somebody then we entertain the conversation but it's kind of changing that of like that dance between like our values and the way that the world currently works and the way that business functions and what you need to do to turn a profit, but also like learning to say no to things and like drawing that line and having those boundaries. And I think like we, you know, I think sometimes we are our biggest problem. So myself and Martin, the other co-director, like the two of us, I think, just bash our heads against the wall a lot of like, why do we make life hard for ourselves? And it's because like we see something that we don't like the look of and we want that to change. And if we just think somebody else is going to do it, it's not going to happen. And But we become like our own big, biggest nightmares because we overcomplicate things. We overthink things. And we say like, is this valuable? Is this worth it? And then, you know, you have a moment of clarity of, well, we've worked with this many people or we've collected this much plastic with the community through only bottle tops or we've recycled a ton of plastic in a year like that's impactful in a certain way even if it's not the level we want yeah. but that's one step towards like some sort of systems change and some sort of like behavior change in our community and that's amazing to think of what motivates you or inspires you frustration again <laughs> I'm like I'm really I realized this a few years ago and I feel bad that I'm motivated by frustration like I don't I wish I wasn't. I wish I was optimistic, but I think that it's, yeah, like frustration over that. And then I always thought like, I'm not optimistic at all. I must be a pessimist. But then I realized like I wouldn't be doing any of this if I didn't have hope. And so it's recognizing that like 
my purpose in life is maybe to empower other people to make some sort of a change. And if that's them collecting plastic bottle tops and me taking those bottle tops and not turning it into something else that's wasted, but something that has longer lasting value and life and then also changes their mentality and perspective of that plastic bottle top that has now become a plant pot or a knife handle that somebody is going to buy and keep for hopefully generations, then maybe that's a part of a reason to be happy about living in the world that we're living in today. That's not frustration if you know that something's got, that someone's got something that you've created that wouldn't have existed without you which is just so cool. Is this a therapy session? Oh, maybe. <laughs> for me or for you? <laughs> maybe for me. <laughs> the world's not so bad after all. <laughs> what do you love most about living around here? Oh, Morgan Bay is so different from everywhere else I've ever lived. So I grew up in Southern California near the ocean, like maybe about a 15-minute drive away. I could surf in the morning before going to high school. And then I moved to San Diego where it was like equally, you know, I could see fireworks from my doorstep and I could look out over the ocean. I did not have a beach house. It's not that rich. And then, you know, having to move away from that because I realized you have to work so much to have that work-life balance. You, you can't have that work-life balance. You kind of have to keep up with the Joneses in Southern California. And it was a whole mentality and lifestyle that I did not want a part of. My partner and I moved to Prague for a year and then we moved to Germany and everywhere has been entirely different and entirely different life and a different, almost a different me. Like the me in another country not speaking the local language was like, a very weird kiki and I you know I know who that person is but my even my husband was like who is this why why do you act this way and when we moved here I kind of and I think it's a little bit you know I had more flexibility because I could speak the language but also I'm in a place that I think has felt like it's been left behind from a lot of the UK but there's so much like promise and like creativity and interests here that people feel untapped and I think like there is a lot that can come out of Morecambe on a broader scale. I think it's already happening in Morecambe, Morecambe specifically. I live in Lancaster. We work in Hesham. But I think that there is like this area is ripe for connection and community and like so many creative, wonderful things. And one of my favorite parts of this area is more of like the natural side of things. So really love to swim and go out into the lakes a couple times a week and also like two main things that just make me like so in awe of Morecambe is I saw the tidal bore in Arnside and not knowing what it was and that just made my mind go wait what because from southern california where we have really big waves we don't have like this slow tide that rolls in that just like blew my mind and it, i saw it in the first like couple of months we lived here and i was just like whoa things are so different in other places and i think like remembering that allows you to think differently about like everybody else is different every person everywhere in the world and for some reason that reminded me of it. And then I also really love the murmurations. Yeah. It's insane. And like that actually led to during COVID Creative West End and Good Things Collective put out a call for like an eco art piece with like a community kind of side to it. And so I kind of designed and like made up this idea around a murmuration made out of recycled plastic birds. And it took a couple of years to get made mainly because of COVID. But we ended up making like an art piece that we then brought our injectors out to the promenade during a creative West End market and we allowed people to actually make the birds themselves. They could take one away and then put one up on the art installation. And really it needs more prominence than like wrapped around our mezzanine. But it's that thing of like, so a murmuration, the way that it works is something called the emergent principle. And the emergent principle is this idea that one thing alone cannot do it itself. It is 
only possible when there's a group that work together. So each bird, when you look at a murmuration, there can be like up to 70,000 birds. Insane. They only know what's happening to like six or seven birds around them. They, nobody's like calling in like, okay, and next we're going to turn left and then we're going to like dive to the right really fast and then we're going to like shoot straight up, straight up and then, you know, go west for a little bit. They're literally just like, nobody knows who's directing it, but they know that this is just like a mesh of birds that is working like one moves and then six around it are kind of seeing that. And then as they move, then the other ones around it move and like, you know, scientists and designers are designing like little tiny bots that like operate in the same way and they're looking at birds that do this this is insane but in this time period of covid i was looking around and saying like most of us are only interacting with like six people in a day the person who's delivering the mail or delivering your food parcel maybe your neighbor you see over the fence uh maybe people in your family or in your household whatever but like we are not coming in contact with as many people as we normally do and this kind of principle of a murmuration of like people kind of turning the tide and people being connected to this wider network without actually really having to know all of the network was really like a beautiful moving thing to me and I was like whoa that is if you start thinking that way in terms of your personal impact because as we do with sustainability you go like am I making a difference and if you recognize like well if I'm maybe changing the minds or moving a few people a few steps in the other direction and then those people are moving a few people in the other direction and then those people and that's kind of fanning out then like are we making a bigger difference by just being super impactful with a few people around us than thinking like I need to be famous and be all over the world with whatever idea or whatever I want um, to change so I think that that seeing that in nature and then going that's that's how we need to think and that's how we need to be hopeful and that's how we need to make that impact is super amazing. What is something that you wish more people understood about what you do? Like what's a misconception or what do you want people to definitely know when they when they know about what you do? Well, I mean, the joke around here is recycling is easy. Um, it's not, and that's fine. Like we'll take on hard jobs and we'd make things harder on ourselves. But I think it's that fact of like, that idea of it's not easy is something that I think people need to then apply to other aspects of their life too, of the idea of like wish cycling or throwing something in your bin thinking it's going to get recycled. Maybe just taking it an extra step and understanding a little bit more is going to make that difference. And I think that's, you know, that's what we do here is we have to understand what different plastic is going to do at different types. If you mix it with another, like, yes, it'll mix, but it'll probably flake off or crack apart or whatever. So like, understanding not necessarily what we do but understanding recycling as a whole is a whole process and just being annoyed that you can't put you know dirty pizza box into recycling like does not change anything but knowing that the reason that you can't do that is because it then cannot be recycled because it's contaminated the system okay that then changes your mindset of maybe I'll just well, you can compost it. Yeah. That'd be better than recycling it in the first place. But those kinds of thoughts of like taking that to the next step. Yeah. So not necessarily us, but yeah. and maybe like connect the dots yourself yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. Like think through why things are the way they are. And if you don't like it, then change it. Yeah. I think you sort of briefly mentioned this one. How do you maintain a work-life balance? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm better now that I'm not mostly on my computer and I, that I have a place to come to. And I have a team, which when we first we were out in the garage, it was more of a like I was in my house because there was really no space for me in the garage. And then I tried to set up an office and it was like dingy dark. I was literally in the loft of this like workshop that was just full of spiders and my it would get in my hair as I sat there. And there was like water dripping from the ceiling and it was middle of winter. And I thought that was cold. And then we moved into this big metal 
block shed. But yeah, I think having the space and the, this is a different for different people learning myself that like ADHD and definitely neurodivergent need very specific things that are different than other people. But also that like, if you have a thing that you love, like maybe you don't need to work life balance because you do the things when you feel excited to do them. And then you get the, the deal is learning to take the time off of working brain. Yeah. Not that you can't work in the evenings, but like recognizing how that impacts other people. So I have my partner who normally is the only one that gets annoyed by all of this because I used to work into the middle of the night because that's how I function best. And I was freelancing for people in California and I lived out here. But yeah, finding, I think like, you know, do the job you love. That's so like cliche and such a bullshit idea because not everybody has the option to do that. And I feel that completely. But I think it's also when I worked in a job and career that I didn't necessarily love what aspects of it did I love to then take to work with me and say like well I love creative problem solving and so therefore this job is you know helping to sell multi-million dollar homes as a real estate marketing person but I hate that so I really enjoy that I'm creative problem solving in this way today Um, and so I think it is like learning that you don't have to have that complete difference but also learning how to like care for yourself better um, as a small business owner. Uh, one thing I learned recently was like, you know, we always have to learn how to be your own accountant and marketing and yada, 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 everything, right? You have to do all the jobs, but nobody ever says, and how are you your own HR rep? So like, who's doing HR for you? Oh, actually, Kiki, you need to take some time off. Like you need to learn those boundaries. And so everybody's boundaries different. Everybody's passion is different. Like definitely ignore everybody else and find what works for you but like learn how to love aspects of what you do and let it be a part of your life like I'm never not working it's just all in my head so (laughs) what advice would you give to somebody who wants to sort of follow in your footsteps uh JFDI just fucking do it yeah I think like and that's something you know once again it's based on personality and the way your brain works but um sometimes you just have to try and I think like we take very little risk as a business. Like that's something we've decided because part of us being successful is not making a ton of money, mm-hmm. um, which sometimes you need to take a lot of risks to do that. We take small risks that will allow for gains for our business to grow sustainably mm-hmm. and slowly so that we can provide support for our, our employees and ourselves. So sometimes though you just have to take the risk so for example when martin and i decided we needed to really focus to make our little community engagement kind of project into our life work for now who knows what this turns into eventually um but we realized we needed to focus and both of us were doing work elsewhere and i had to quit my other work the freelance graphic design marketing work that i've been doing for over a decade and i had to just fire all of my clients which I realized in that moment, the way I started doing it was by raising their rates and they said yes to it. And I realized then that for six years I could have been raising rates. And I, so that one was a like great eye opener. But um, yeah, I think that the risk that we had to take was we just needed to commit. Like we need to commit to this idea and sometimes it's hard. And I think that's that thing of a good business owner is somebody who will just put everything into it. And the deal then is that work-life balancing of like learning what your limit is and saying like, okay, I can, I can do six days a week and I can work till midnight, but I need to take Sunday off or, but I need my mornings really slow and I'm going to take two hours every morning to go on a walk or go for a swim or have coffee or do whatever and learning to find that balance. But you just have to like pour a lot into it at first and, think some of it is not being so afraid of failure at least for me 
and trying to prove myself is not the way to make something be successful. It's maybe to prove it to myself, but not to prove it to other people. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Fueling the Bold podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at carringtonscoffee.co for video interviews and more. And follow us on Instagram at Carrington's Coffee Co. Thanks for listening and see you again next time.